Hello, everybody. This is Mark Lewandowski. Welcome to Mind Your Business. Mind Your Business is all about building your personal capacity. Personal capacity is what is needed for you to grow in your career, make great decisions, and become a person of influence. So sit back and enjoy this content as I share with you insights and stories, examples, and personal challenges designed to do one thing, build your capacity to change your world. Hello, everybody. This is Mark Lewandowski with Mind Your Business. I have a very special guest today. I've got a guest that's on his lunch break from San Francisco, California. Here's a gentleman that grew up in the Midwest, won every award in sales you can imagine in his college years, came to work as an intern for our company, and then hired on full-time. Now, he's got his dream job at Salesforce in San Francisco. His name is Dan Apple. And I'm going to welcome Dan. Dan, welcome to our podcast. Mark, thanks for having me. I got to say, it's an honor to be here. Well, it's an honor to have you, Dan. Let me ask you, how did it happen? How did you go from small town to the big time? How did you make that jump? And the reason I ask is most of our listeners are really listening and looking for ways to let their career continue to grow. And you did it. You made that jump. Tell us just for a moment, how did you make that jump? Well, I, by accident, wound it up at, uh, at a college where I had this professor, and I just ended up following every piece of advice he ever gave me, and then, uh, and then things turned out pretty well. That, that professor happened to be you, but that's kind of the, <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> kind of that's very there. nice. Now, really, how did you make that change? How did you make that emotional and physical jump to go from a small company to one of the most influential and powerful organizations in business? Well, there was a little bit of luck involved, I've got to say. Um, you know, having the right relationships and, and getting connected with the right folks over at Salesforce definitely helped. But at the end of the day, I think it was just uh, maintaining a, a kind of a, a positive attitude and not being afraid to take the risk when the opportunity presented itself. You know, Dan, the whole time you worked with us, you were never afraid of any risk. I mean, you were a guy that just jumped in and got after it no matter what the job was. And so a lot of people in our world are afraid of being in sales because of the whole uh, the whole challenge of taking something from nothing and turn it into a relationship. The big challenge that a lot of people get is they just wonder, how am I going to find out who's telling the truth? Dan, when you get a lead that won't give you a straight answer, what's your what's your strategy? How did you take a lead and turn it into something that was really special? I think if somebody's not giving you a straight answer on the phone, then you really got to push back on them uh, in that in that sales scenario. So, at uh, we we follow a selling methodology called Sandler here at Salesforce, which is just you know it, it's like a lot of curriculums out there. There's a lot of overlap between that, maybe spin or, or any of these other selling curriculums. But one of the main concepts in Sandler is my time is valuable and my customers have to earn it. 
So if you adopt that mentality, then if somebody's not giving you a straight answer or if they're not answering questions directly, then it's important to push back and say, you know, it doesn't seem like you're taking that, this evaluation all that seriously. There's probably just other priorities that, um, that you'd like to, you know, like to, to focus on. So maybe we should revisit this in, in three or six months whenever you're ready to take it seriously. And I find that uh, that's a really hard thing to do and say on the phones. But if you're able to work up the courage and say it, then oftentimes you can kind of twist around that, uh, that perception that they had of you as just a salesperson to somebody that's actually uh, trying to help them and trying to make change. And, and if they're not receptive to that change, then that's on them. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, you've been so good at cold calling. And cold calling is something that people are just, you know, they just get shivers uh, thinking about cold calling. How, Dan, do you make such great, almost instant connection with people? Well, I think the first hurdle that a lot of people have with cold calling is is not picking up the phone enough uh, because they have this attitude that it, I have to I have to really make this call count. As soon as I do call this person, it's got to be a great conversation. And so I think getting over that feel of fear of uh, of failure that's probably the, one of the big hurdles that you need to overcome. And one of the tools that um, that I've tried to implement to, to overcome that is um, there's a book called I've read recently called the five-second rule, where if you're ever at a point of indecision, meaning you know you need to pick up the phone, you know you need to call this prospect, it's what you're hired to do, you need to get it done, uh, but you're doing more research and you're thinking, well, if I just looked at their LinkedIn for a little bit longer, maybe I'll find a piece of insight that'll make the call that much more beneficial. If I ever catch myself in that situation, I always just count down from five and pick up the phone and dial. Because at the end of the day, I think selling is... uh, it's not really as much of an art as it is math. So my my mindset towards cold calling is the more people I call, the better I'll be because the more conversations I'll have, the more people I'll get in front of and, and so on. So uh, that's how I, I try to approach cold calling, first of all, is just by treating it as a numbers game, not as this some type of fine art that you have to tune. But I think the, the benefit there, if I can add just one more comment, would be if you treat it as math. And so if you treat it as a numbers game, then you're going to have a lot more conversations and you're going to get better at it because you do it more. So, so let's say that you're, you're picking up the phone and you're doing it more often. So you, you have proven that you can motivate yourself to pick up the phone. You talked about the five second rule and you said, I've proven myself. I'll pick up the phone. I won't hesitate and I'll do it over and over and over. And that's math and that's critical. But you said it's, it's more math than it is art. However, you truly are an artist of the phone call and you got there not by luck and not by numbers, but by getting better. Tell me, Dan, how do you assess, how do you go about assessing your own talents, your own work and making improvements? Are there ways that you have proven to yourself that this makes me a better phone person? No, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, like the the topics that you constantly uh, hit on of just having a desire to learn, having a desire to read more. You know, if you're in it and if you're making a lot of phone calls and you start off with five really bad phone calls, then in your spare time, you might be more likely to read an article that talks about these tactics to, uh, you know, it, to get through the gatekeeper whenever you're making a cold call. So there are, there are certainly some of those tactics that I'll put into play. Uh, but I think part of it is just uh, it's just the desire to to be better at the art of selling. 
One of the things that one of the things I learned when I was at IBM years ago, my first job out of college was at IBM, and I thought, boy, I'd really hit a home run working at IBM in sales. And I would call people, and I could not get through the gatekeeper, and they were so good at stopping people like us from IBM to get in. So I learned something. I learned accidentally that if I was making calls sometime around the lunch hour, the person that's the normal gatekeeper would step away and go to lunch, and somebody who is not as good at stopping people from getting in would come in and take their seat. And I would call and I would just act like it was just very important that I get right in. They would tell me that person's at lunch. Well, I knew the person was at lunch. And so I would say, what's a good time to call them back? And could you put a note? And I used the lunch hour to increase my closure rate and to increase my connectivity success by using a gatekeeper or by talking to a gatekeeper who wasn't as good at stopping people from getting in. So, you know, for me, it was all about assessing how am I doing, looking at my losses, looking at my failure points and saying, how do I overcome those failure points? And, you know, something that I've learned a lot from you, like, and I had the opportunity to work with you for, for a while. And I think one of the big pieces that I picked up on whenever I would hear you get on the phone was your tone. And I remember when I started at Salesforce as well, I noticed that the biggest difference between the people that were at the top of the dashboard every single month versus the people that were maybe towards the middle uh, in terms of production or, or towards the bottom of the dashboard, it was the tone that they had on the phone. And that comes into play too when you're when you're cold calling. So like you're saying, if you act like you, uh, you know, it, you have business with the person that you're trying to get a hold of, even if you've never talked to them before, uh, and you have more of a, hi, this is Mark looking for, you know, looking for the person and have this uh, uh, tonality that's maybe a little bit different than what most people might say of, hi, I'm Dan. How's your day going today? Uh, you know, <laughs> typically I think people are going to be a little bit more receptive to that and, uh, and think that, oh, this guy means business. Yeah, I, I always use a very strong tone, a very authoritarian tone that says, Hi, this is Mark. May I speak to Dan? Or is Dan available to speak? And I get right to it as if I want the other person on the phone to, th- to be a little intimidated by asking me, who is this again? And what do you want? You know, I'm trying to create a real authority behind my voice and not yeah. in a rude way, just a strong way, just a presence. And I also but, do that with my cadence. I, and I think it even goes deeper than... Um than just authority. I think it uh, it really goes into like the, the total attitude that they should take with you and that if you call someone and say, hi, this is Dan, quick question for you. Do you got a second? It, it means that you need their time. You're not trying to beat around the bush. You have something to say and your time is valuable as well. I think that's the one of the big mistakes that I hear with people that uh, maybe haven't spent a lot of time on the phone is, is they'll call and they'll say, hi, how are you? Well, I don't really understand why anybody asks how I'm doing, especially if I get a cold call and they ask how I'm doing. I know they don't care, and I also don't really care to tell them how I'm doing. So (laughs) if I can just call and say, hi, this is Dan, quick question for you, do you got a sec? Then it's going to prompt them to say yes or no, and then I say, great, when's a good time to call you back? And so that's – if ever I'm I'm cold calling, I typically – always lead with that intro. Now, if it's a, you know, a call that I have that's with a, an active opportunity, obviously I'll treat it a little bit differently. If they have my number saved in their phone, then they might pick up and say, hi, Dan. And I'll say, hey, Jim, how's it going today? 
But if I've never spoken to this person before, it doesn't matter who it is, what their role is, I always start the same way. Hi, this is Daniel Salesforce. Quick question for you. You got a second. Dan, you went from you went from a very small company to a large organization. And so when you were with the small company, every move you made made an enormous impact on the company. And now you're in a big organization. How how have you stayed motivated inside an organization that's as big as Salesforce? Well, I think with large organizations, you, you got to stay motivated by by finding some healthy competition. So obviously, it's easy to do that when you're part of a large sales organization or part of a large sales team. Uh, but I think it's also very important to kind of keep your eye on career trajectory and where you're going next. So, you know, as with a, a lot of organizations out there, having kind of a, a clear career path of if I do well, and, and also I, I discuss this with my manager and just about every one-on-one that we have, um, to make sure that I am tracking towards my next career move, whether that's at the company for just working with a larger segment size, or maybe it's uh, a different role, but nevertheless a, uh, a promotion of some kind. In your world right now, you're looking forward. You're in a great role. You're looking forward in your career. Your career path is something that's on your mind all the time. You, you've just spoken about healthy competition. That's how you stay motivated. But let's look backwards for a minute. If you were to give yourself advice five years ago, what would you have told yourself five years ago and why? It's a good question. I think... One of the big pieces that I would have, um, I think I would have said, don't be afraid to ask for help. And that's just something that uh, I've noticed and I, I learned from you is that successful people are not afraid to ask for help. They're not afraid to ask for other people's time because they know that time is valuable, but they're willing to, to help them if ever they need it in the future. But uh, especially working at a large organization, that's... Uh, a huge item that I've learned is that you, you've got to learn to lean on others and not try to do everything on your own. You know, in our office, when you walk in, as you know, there are statements on the wall that are important to our culture. And the very first one is pride is the enemy of success. And we make every intern and every new employee aware of the fact that we believe that pride is the enemy of success. And that if, if you're too good to pick up a piece of paper and put it in your pocket or throw it away, then we really don't want you. If you're too good to help somebody carry in groceries for the kitchen, we don't want you. And if you're too prideful to ask for help, you're really minimizing your ability to be successful. Isn't that right, Dan? No, absolutely. And I mean, I think that that goes into, I think that just spreads into so many different areas. But um, especially when you're on the phone and you're in, say, in an evaluation, you're trying to convince someone. I think a lot of people can, can let their pride seep into to how they sound on the phones, uh, which, which is really dangerous. And so one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite lines, if ever I'm starting to, to get the feeling that I'm losing a deal or that someone is going to go with my competitor or maybe do nothing. Cause usually I'm competing against do nothing. I think that's a lot of people in sales can relate to that. If, uh, no matter what you're selling, you're probably selling change in some way. And so the challenge there is, you know, uh, Change is hard. Change isn't easy. Uh, 
But if you're prideful and you're trying to convince somebody to change whatever their process looks like, then that, that might not be, I don't know, the best conversation for them to have. So something that I'll work into the my talk track will look like this. I'll say, don't let my inability to communicate the value of my service or product to prevent you from having clearly a superior service or product. And then that makes them say, whoa, this guy, this guy just kind of threw himself under the bus and he really truly believes this is, you know, in my benefit. So that's something that I try to work in. Yeah. That's really a very interesting strategy. So what you fundamentally did is you exposed to the listener that you are aware of your own weaknesses as a communicator. And yet the value proposition that your company brings to the table is so good. Don't allow my weaknesses to overshadow how great the value is. Exactly. What are other crazy strategies you've used that have worked? Is there anything else you can think of? You think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I tried something and it worked. You know, like that line that I just mentioned is one that I I will use somewhat regularly, but I feel like it's kind of dangerous in sales to just focus on like closing techniques or closing strategies because everybody wants to talk about who's a good closer or the closing part of the sale. But I kind of think that that's bullshit to be honest, because you'll find that the best closers are also probably the best openers and the best middlers is middler a word. I don't know. Anyway, I think that it is today. (laughs) today. today. Uh, I think that the people that are really good at closing are also the people that did a really good job of setting expectations at the very beginning of the, uh, of the sales process. And then did a really good job of, of follow up and did a good job of meeting those expectations and then revisiting the timeline every time they got on the phone. Um, So I don't know if I have a, Sorry, I almost kind of had to add in that caveat before I can give you any more of like my uh, my go-to lines or anything like that. But I think the biggest thing would just be a focus on discovery when it comes to specific tick, uh, tips or, or techniques. So my go-to line uh, will be after an, an intro call or some type of a qualification process that I've gone through. And I understand at a very high level what they're looking for. And I've also communicated at a very high level what my offering looks like, but we have yet to really dive into the evaluation. Then I will say, um, you know, if you were to move away from your current process, or maybe I'm competing against someone, I'll say, if you were to go with my company versus company X, what would cause you to do it? And then whatever they say is typically the number one priority that they have for the evaluation. And then I know to just hit that point um, again and again through the rest of the conversations. Wow, that's fantastic. That's fantastic, Dan, because, you know, we talk about, you and I have talked many times that too many variables confuse the buyer. And if you're focusing on all these variables that they don't care about and you're focused on the one thing that they truly care about, you you stand a very good chance of closing, whether you're great at asking for the close or terrible at asking for the close. If they truly know and believe that you care about them, they want to do business with you. People are drawn to people who care about them, not people who care about only about themselves. And, you know, I think you always you always taught me uh, about customer centricity and making sure that you're always focusing on the customer and that uh, one of the 
best things about sales and the worst things in sales is that the number one thing that people love to talk about is themselves, which is great if you know that and you can use that to your advantage, but uh, not so great if you forget about that and you actually start talking about yourselves because, you know, customer probably doesn't really care what um, <laughs> what you have to say about yourself or what, no, what your, your life looks like. They just care about them. But, uh, yeah, if you can keep that in mind, I think you'll be a lot better off. About 10 years ago, I took over a company that their webpage was built in dark navy blue and gold, and the, the text on their webpage was microscopic, and yet they were selling products and services to an older female population. So, number one, navy blue and yellow is only good if these people are Michigan Wolverines. <laughs> the rest of the women don't like that color. So, uh, I had an analysis done by someone. I said, our webpage just sucks. It's just terrible. It's providing no value. And fortunately, I hired a woman to do this, and she straightened me out immediately. She said, you have a real problem. Whoever built this website for this company you bought didn't understand that the target market was female. And the target market was above 50 and they can't read the font and they don't care about Navy blue. I mean, I, I, it was one of the best lessons that I've ever had in just reiterating the fact that building a website or playing background music or choosing language or choosing a name that you think is fabulous yeah. is just stupid. If you haven't considered the value of that name or that nomenclature or those colors to your client. I remember, I think I remember learning that the hard way with a few of my, uh, Initial prospecting emails that I had you review. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry about that, Dan. I was a little tough on you back in those days. Well, better off for it. Okay, let me ask you this. Dan, in your opinion, can a salesperson become great or are they just born great? Oh, I think they can absolutely become great. I mean, I think a great salesperson... Um, you know, I mentioned tone. You mentioned a number of things about like uh, always focusing on the customer and not focusing on your own needs. Those are things that great salespeople will do. But I think the number one thing that separates great salespeople from the middle of the pack would be attitude. And attitude is absolutely learned. I mean, it's it's absolutely something that you you choose. I think your your attitude is something that um, something that like that needs to be a decision. And I feel like that's what I always. I think the number one differentiator that I always noticed with you was you would always have a a positive, energetic, upbeat, and optimistic attitude. And it, it just seemed like you never really had an off day. And I was I was talking with a, a friend about this the other day. Uh, about like just different ways that you can trick yourselves into having that positive attitude. So if you determine that, that's what determines greatness is, uh, to a large degree at least, your mindset and your attitude. Then if you're having a bad day, if you're having a, a not so great day, then what what can you do to trick yourself into having a better attitude? Uh, one is just smiling. That goes a long ways, but. I feel like I need to pass this off to you because you always have a great presence and a great mindset and a great attitude. What do you do to do that? Well, I really appreciate one. I, I thank you for saying that. And of course you're throwing questions back at me, which is opposite of what we're supposed to do, which is a great sales technique, by the way. <laughs> but really 
I focus on trying to get my best conversations at the perfect time of my day. I know that I'm best in middle afternoon or early morning, so I try to load my calls up early. And I'm telling you, if I'm on a, if I'm on a hunt for selling, if I have a great phone conversation, I do not wait three minutes. I pick up the phone and I go again because when you've got good things coming your way, people can tell you've got an an energy, an excitement, a confidence. And when you don't have any excitement, energy, or confidence, no one wants to talk to you. So I try to, I try to make hay when the sun is shining, man. When it is going well, I am picking up that phone. And I also try to load up my phone calls at my premium times a day. And for me, that's not 4.30 or 5 because I'm an early morning person. So I try to have my most important calls in the morning. I mean, is there, Dan, is there a best time to make a, a cold call for you? Do you find that there's, that there are cycles in your day? You know, I, I certainly find that people are more receptive to conversations uh, in the mornings. I feel like I'm, I'm probably more productive in the mornings as well. That's when, you know, everybody begins the day with more energy than they end the day with. So, you know, to your point, I, I do feel like I see a little bit more success with my prospecting time in the morning than I do in the afternoon as well. Uh, but I, I also think it's just about, you know, figuring out whatever works best for you and whatever you have success with and then, you know, trying to uh, to make sure that that's repeatable in some way. So I, I have a few tricks that I'll do. Like I'll either go stand up for a little while, gosh, getting like a brush of fresh, uh, fresh air or just getting a little bit of exercise if you're, even if you're walking around for a little while. That can kind of trick me out of, uh, I don't know if I'm in a bad funk, but to your point, you know, I'll, I'll also block off time and make sure that if I want to prospect, I don't want to just make two two cold calls. I want to make well, I want to make ten or fifteen cold calls all at once because I can get that rhythm going. I can really get high energy, and so I'll do that on the floor because I uh, I like being around all of my coworkers and hearing them on the phones as well. I feel like there's a lot of energy that I can get from their presence, and. That's when I notice that I'm, I'm at my best is when I block off time on my calendar. I've got two hours just dedicated to, to going through a list that I prepared ahead of time. So I don't have to spend a lot of time looking up, uh, you know, who am I going to call next? I just I know automatically as soon as I hang up the call and I log it, then I'm on to the next one. So that's uh, – Dan, let me jump in and say, you know, we you and I both had experience selling – Great products. My first job out of college was IBM. Before that, I was selling the very best suits in the mall. You know, there was the best suit store. So I never had to worry about the quality. I was always selling the very best. And then I started as an entrepreneur building my own company. So I really believed in what I was selling. I know looking back at your history, your, your track record, you have had great products to sell. But there are a lot of people out here listening to this that say, you know what? The truth is, I think my product is second, third, fourth, or fifth in class. I think it's a piece of shit. I'm kind of embarrassed about how we charge or they know something about the company that um, they know that the service on the back end is really, it really sucks or that we made a lot of promises in the conversation that we're not planning on delivering. I mean, do you, in, in a perfect world, everyone wants to sell the very best product. Yeah. But how do you go about selling something that you know is subpar or not best in class? I don't know. I don't know if I, 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 candidly speaking, I don't know if there is a way to do that because I, I feel like I need to trick myself into believing that it really is the best uh, or I can't do it. 
And I, I don't know how it's sustainable if um, if you don't really believe in whatever whatever it is that you're selling. I, I think I remember when my first interview conversation with you, I was talking to you about selling, and you asked me maybe what I what I didn't like about selling or what I didn't want to do when it came to selling. And I had a friend at that time that was still in college, but he just got an a internship where he was selling life insurance. And it was obnoxious because he went through his entire phone book and called every single one of his friends who were in college to try to sell them life insurance. And I'm like, I what? I'm in, I, I, I have no idea why I would be buying life insurance at this point. That uh, you know is like the furthest thing from my list of priorities for what I would buy. So I don't know why you're spamming me. At, at least that's what it felt like. But Jared, Jared was his name, didn't think he was spamming me. He really believed that I needed to buy life insurance. And so looking back on that situation, I remember you kind of slapped me on the hand and said, you know what, I don't think that that is a bad thing that Jared's doing that to you or, or doing that to his friends because he's a go-getter. He believes in, in what he's doing and he's trying to make effective, positive change. And so uh, from then on, I've kind of, uh, kind of had the mindset that that's really all selling is. Selling is just making change in someone's life. And usually, change is good in some way. Change can be scary, but usually I think change is good. So, gosh, whether it's a, a $2,000 Kirby vacuum or uh, maybe some pharmaceutical services for a hospice, I, you need to find a way to make sure that you believe that whatever you're selling, whatever you're representing, is, is going to benefit them in some way. And it's going to be good. I, th I think there's a another element to that, and I completely agree and loved your comments. I think you look for you look for the value in what you're selling, and you try to determine the value proposition, especially balanced against its price or its efficiency or how easy it is to use. So you find a way to communicate that, hey, we might not be number one in the industry sector, but look what we do have, and and we're trying to create balance in your decision making. But number two. As a salesperson out there listening to this, you've got to understand that you're building skill sets. You're building your own personal portfolio, your own product line of what you can do, what you can provide. And not believing in your product and not taking it seriously and not being the very best you can is not helping anyone. You can't sit back and just bitch about the fact that you don't have the best price or the best product and that's why you're not selling. You've got to roll up your sleeves and figure out how to do the very best with what you've got and then you will have become a better salesperson ready to migrate or move on to a better organization. Well, and if I – Mark, if I can add to that, I mean I want to make sure that I'm being clear that you know, to your point, there might be some products that aren't the best for everyone but – I think regardless of what you're selling, there's probably someone out there that is the best fit for your product or service. I mean, do you, would you agree with that? I do agree. There's got to be someone that matches that offering. Yeah. So whether it's the, the certain mix of functionality and price that your service or product brings to the table, go out and find them because they need it. And I think that's the attitude you have to have. Okay, Dan, real quick, three questions. What's your favorite book? Favorite book is got to be, and this is just the book that I've recommended to the most people. Yeah. How to Make People Like You in 90 Seconds or Less. 
Okay, that's a great one. All right. What is your favorite thing to do to relax right in the middle of the day? Oh, it's got to be go for a midday run. That's the best. That's fantastic. And what's the best way to spend time on the weekend recovering so you're ready to go on Monday? Well, a skill that you taught me very well, golf. <laughs> That's okay. That's a great you answer. You got to get your mind right. That's exactly right. So you <laughs> trade one frustrating experience for another frustrating experience. <laughs> Dan, I yeah, want to thank you so much. I want to thank you so much for taking this 30 minutes to share time with us. Your time is so valuable. I'm so excited about the things that you're doing at Salesforce. It is one of the best companies in the United States, absolutely an industry leader. And not only an industry leader, a true thought leader. They're not just a product company. They're a solution company, a consultation company, an education company. This is a great organization. And I'm thrilled that you would take time out of your day to spend with us. I really appreciate that, and I want to say thank you. Well, Mark, thank you for that. And I got to say, I owe you a big thank you as well, just for uh, it's, it's really an honor to, to, to be a part of this today. And man, got to attribute just about uh, all success I've had in my, my professional career to, uh, to everything you've taught me and also even things you didn't teach me. Because, you know, to the point that you bring up on this podcast all the time, one of the biggest, uh, biggest things you can do to set yourself up for success is have an appetite for learning. And I feel like I really learned that from you. Thank you so much. This is Mark Lewandowski with Mind Your Business with a very special guest, Mr. Dan Apple of Salesforce. Dan, again, thank you. And thank you all of you listeners that are out there. Appreciate you. Keep sending in questions and ideas for podcasts and we'll keep providing as much value as we can. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Mind Your Business. Please check me out on Facebook and Instagram and be sure to send me a message if there's something you need or want me to talk about. You know, the great motivational speaker Zig Ziglar once said, you can have anything in life you want as long as you help enough other people get what they want. What does that mean for you today? That means if there's something in this content that is exciting and really resonates with you, pass it along to your friends. Share it. Let them develop and become strong in their thinking, in their motivation, in their knowledge, just like you are. Together, knowledgeable, you and your friends will change the world.